What a brilliant story. Everyone is invited. Everyone has a place at the table. And Roberta and I are going to talk about that this morning together. Uh, Roberta uh, is, uh, has been a member of this church for a number of years. She works up in London in the week, but on Sunday she's a great volunteer in the Noughts to Fours. And it's been lovely working with her on this uh, preach together. So let's give Roberta a warm welcome. Wow, there are a lot of people here. (laughs) Good afternoon, church. I'm going to start with a question for you. What is the strangest thing you have ever eaten? A grasshopper? A snake? Dog? Prawns? Goat? Okay, there should have been some hands there. (laughs) Now, you may think this is a very strange thing to be asking, and you will be right, but for me... The strangest thing I've ever eaten is a snail, and contrary to popular belief, it did not taste like chicken. (laughs) I started it like this because I want you to think, what if what you ate wasn't determined by your preferences, but by a list of prohibitions imposed by your religion? Before I move on, if you've got your Bible with you, just take it out, because we're going to look at a lot of scriptures scripture today, and although the readings will come up on the screen, it'll be useful for you to have it to hand. Let's go back 2,000 years to see a Roman centurion called Cornelius. He was a God-fearing man who continually prayed and gave offerings to God. One afternoon, an angel appeared to him to confirm that God had heard his prayers and that he should send for a man called Peter, who at that time was staying with Simon the Tanner in his house by the sea in Joppa. Although Cornelius was afraid, he immediately obeyed and sent off two servants with one of his devout, God-believing soldiers on this mission. Let's pick up this story at Acts chapter 10, verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure which God had made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. We have no idea of the particular creatures which were on this sheet, but we can tell from Peter's response that he was far from impressed from what was being offered to him, although the scripture clearly says he was very hungry. For us looking at this response with our 21st century Western eyes, it it can seem like a very odd response to a voice from heaven which offers a wide range of food sources to say, surely not, Lord, I have never eaten anything which is impure or unclean. But when you look at the Old Testament laws, this response from a Jewish man begins to make a lot of sense. In Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14, we see rules for the children of Israel in what was and what, what was and what wasn't allowed for them to eat. 
Now, these rules were quite detailed, and in some translations, the word abomination was used to describe some of these animals, which really drives home how disgusting the Jewish people would have found some of these animals. Now, these laws covered quite a few different things, and I've picked out a few of them for you today. Number one, animals with a cloven hoof which chew the cud. This is most probably the most well-known of the laws in respect of what Jewish people could and couldn't eat. We all know an observant Jew is not going to have a bacon sandwich. So, while a sheep will regurgitate the partially digested food to chew it some more, a pig doesn't do that. So, the pig is prohibited. Now, what I just described, that lovely process of regurgitation and chewing up again, that is chewing the cud, which sounds lovely. Number two... The laws prohibited certain types of insects. While grasshoppers were in, snails were out. And from my personal experience, I can see why. (laughs) Number three, any fish that lived in the seas or in the rivers which had fins and scales were allowed. If they were lacking either of those, they were an abomination and should be avoided at all costs. So while you could have some salmon, shellfish was certainly not allowed. Now, it's this last item on the table with Jews being clean and Gentiles being unclean, which really explains the point of these rules. At this time in the Old Testament, God was showing that the people of Israel were his chosen people and were to be set apart from the other nations. These rules showed that they were different to everyone else and no self-respecting Jew would want to be contaminated by either eating anything that was unclean or by associating with anybody who did eat these foods. It can be difficult for us to really appreciate what these types of religious rules were like, because these impacted on all kind of daily life. But what it does do is it brings to mind, for me, my childhood growing up in a church where there are many ideas about what was appropriate for Christians to do and what was inappropriate for Christians to do. So back in the day... Women should wear hats in church. I think there are two in this church right now. Back in the day, women should not wear trousers in church. Well, you definitely should not be going to the cinema because that was considered too worldly. And God forbid if you had to buy something on a Sunday because, you know, that's just a no-no. There was a huge emphasis on living a holy life. And while that's a very important thing to do, instead of it being the basis of a relationship with Christ and the behavior flowing from that, it was very much rules, 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 what you should and shouldn't do. But the thing is, everyone had a very real fear that if they bought the Sunday paper, they just might lose their salvation. It's with that in mind that you begin to see that the voice from heaven talking to Peter wasn't just asking him to do something that he didn't want to do. Because by eating these unclean, impure things, under the Old Testament laws, Peter himself would become unclean and impure. Therefore, he couldn't enter the temple. Therefore, he would need to have a whole purification process. This voice from heaven was actually making Peter question his very identity as a Jewish man. Yet, this voice was saying, eat these abominations. Peter saw this sheet and heard the voice three times. And at that point, he could have thought, okay, I have a pork chop, Lord. That's fine. That's all you want me to do. 
But he didn't. He sat and he contemplated on what this vision meant, as we'll see in the rest of the reading. So Acts 10 from verse 17. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped by the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit spoke to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to them, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. When you see this response, you realize that something has really changed in Peter. Because it's not just two servants who come knocking on the door, but there's also a Roman soldier. And they have this story that this Roman centurion wants him to leave his house, go 30 miles down the coast, and have a conversation about God. This is the same Peter who has denied Christ three times. He could have had a very different response to the one that he had. He could have been in fear for his safety because he remembered that it was Roman soldiers who had killed Christ. He could have been angry that these occupying forces had hunted him down. He could have been suspicious that this was all some kind of setup. But instead, he obeys the voice of the Spirit and he invites them in. At that point, he made the connection that the vision was not just about him being able to eat pork. He made the connection that it went much deeper to the truth that the gospel was not just for the Jews, but for all nations because they were no longer unclean as they had been made clean by God. I like to think at this moment that Peter records the prayer that Jesus said before his crucifixion when he prayed for unity amongst all those who had come to believe in him. After praying for his disciples, it is recorded in John that Jesus prayed, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you love me. We see here that even with his impending death, what was on Jesus' heart is that there would be unity amongst those who would come to believe in him. This was not limited to those who heard the gospel from the very lips of the disciples, but it includes you and me in this church today who are here because of the witness of those disciples who obeyed Jesus and went and made disciples of all the nations. It is important that we remember that the idea of unity is not a nice to have, but it is something that comes from the heart of Jesus. And this unity is more than a quick smile or a hello from the other side of the room, but it is a oneness. As Andrew described it in his sermon last week, many in one. Let's not kid ourselves. This unity is not always easy, but it is always worth it. 
So an example from me. I grew up in a black majority church. And when I came to King's, it was what I was looking for. It was in the community I lived in and reflected the diversity of the area. But at first, all the friends I made looked like me. They talked like me. They weren't as tall as me. But they were like me. And I decided at that moment that something needed to change. And so I joined North to Force, and by volunteering once every four weeks, I began to meet different people. They weren't exactly like me. And I began to make friendships. And one of those I value a lot is with someone who, on the face of it, is completely different to me. She's white, she's a mother, she's a wife, she's a teacher, she's older than me. But with her, I can be my 100% authentic self. And this relationship didn't just appear overnight. It came through spending time together, supporting one another, praying together, eating meals together, and serving together in Nortes de Fours. And we have built on our foundation of a love for Jesus and a love for serving in the, with the kids and have built a beautiful friendship. But unity is not just for our own benefit and all the, the nice feelings that we get from it. It is something that goes much deeper than that. As Jesus himself said, it is so that the world can know that God sent Jesus for the entire world and that the world will know that God loves the entire world. So I have a challenge for you to hear the word of God, to think about how it applies to you and be like Peter, to step out of your comfort zone and when the opportunity arrives, to step out and obey and to invite someone in. I'm going to hand over to Hilary now. Thanks, Roberta. So Peter steps out. He steps out of his comfort zone. He takes a risk. He goes to Cornelius's house. He doesn't kind of set conditions and say, well, let's meet on neutral territory or I'll come as long as you don't serve me pork. No, he, he takes the risk. He does take with him six other believers. I don't know whether that was for kind of moral support or protection from the soldiers or as witnesses, because in his heart, he knew that God was going to do something amazing that day. You know, when you accept someone's invitation to go to their house, you lose control of it, don't you? Because you don't quite know what's going to happen, what they're going to put in front of you to eat, uh, what time you'll get that food, what time it will be polite to leave. You know, all those things happen. I don't know about you, but I've had some invitations that I've misunderstood. You know, I've turned up in jeans and everybody is dressed up. Ever had that moment? Um, I've been to people's houses that I thought it was just going to be a cup of tea and maybe a biscuit, and it's a big meal, and I've already eaten, and then you just have to kind of take one for the team. <laughs> and, and Peter's in that situation. He doesn't know what's going to happen next. And he also has that little doubt in his mind. I'm sure if I offend this guy, he's a centurion, I could end up flogged or in jail. So, you know, it, it's a difficult situation. But when he walks in the door, Cornelius literally just throws himself at his feet. You can read it in Acts 10. And he, he extravagantly says, basically, you're welcome 
and I'm here to listen to you. You're the honoured guest. Uh, And Peter responds with honesty, typical Peter, and he says, well, you realise I shouldn't even be here, that you and your people and my people, we've been separated for centuries. Our religious tradition separates us, and yet I know that God has called me here. And so he begins to ask Cornelius some questions about what God has said to Cornelius. You know, as we accept invitations, as we give invitations to each other, and I hope you will really do that over this series, that you will reach out to people different from you. Let's be humble with each other. Let's offer an extravagant welcome. Let's be honest. It's not always going to be easy, but let's be quick to listen and, and hear each other's stories. So once Peter has heard Cornelius' story, he he gathers the people together and there's a big crowd there and he begins to talk to them. And in verse 34, he says this, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Peter knew that there was this theme in the Old Testament that God didn't show favoritism. And yet the Jews kind of acted like they were God's favorite. And so he's kind of breaking that down. I mean, maybe he's thinking about uh, Deuteronomy 10:17, which says that, yes, God is God of Israel, but he's also God of the nations and he is concerned about the foreigners to bring them in. Or 2 Chronicles 19 verse 7, that God doesn't take sides. He's, he has no partiality. He won't accept bribes and, and kind of take sides. Or Job 34, that God shows no partiality, no favoritism to those who are rich. You know, when we think about not taking favorites, not, not showing uh, uh, favoritism, we might think about treating everyone the same, about equality. Uh, but, you know, we've met people maybe like parents who, if one child needs a new bike, then they give every child in the family a new bike to be fair and equal. But, you know, in a way, God isn't like that. He isn't just fair. He doesn't treat us all the same or treat us as we deserve. He shows grace to us. He treats us all uniquely because we are each special to him. He seeks us out in different ways. Remember that parable uh, that demonstrates that God is like a shepherd who leaves behind the 99 to go out and find the one sheep who is lost. And that isn't showing that God doesn't care about the 99 or the, the one is his favorite. No, it's, it's he, his heart is drawn to, towards those who are lost. Or what about the parable of the prodigal son? The son who's gone away and wasted his father's money and rebelled and then comes to his senses and comes back to the house with remorse and repentance. And the father welcomes him in. He, He holds a big party. 
And the older son comes back from the fields and he sees this big party and he's thinking, oh, the favorites come back, you know, that God is showing favorite, favoritism to that younger son. And the father comes out and he says, no, I love you both. You know, everything I have is yours. But this son was lost and now he's found. And God's like that towards us. He seeks us and he loves us and he accepts us. And each one of us is special to him. We're all precious. We're all like his favorites. He has infinite capacity to love each one of us. Our verse for the series says that they will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and take their places at the table. All have a place at the table. No one is excluded. Jesus showed that kind of acceptance in his life. He accepted many different kinds of people, often sharing meals with them. Zacchaeus, the tax collector who ripped off people, Jesus went to his house. The woman at the well with her checkered relationship history, Jesus sat down with her. Simon, the Pharisee, who was an elitist, he thought he was superior to everybody else, Jesus went to his house. The sinful street woman who anointed Jesus' feet with oil, Jesus welcomed her. Jesus accepted all people. And I wonder if Peter, as he preached, remembered that. And the spirit of Jesus anointed him so that as he preached, his prejudices and preferences were set aside. And almost despite himself, he's, he's longing that Cornelius and his friends and family will come to the table. Because when you see people the way Jesus sees people... You will do everything you can to invite them to the table. When you see them, different as they are, the way Jesus does, you'll you'll just invite them in. You'll long for them to come in. As a child, I had a great upbringing. My parents were committed Christians. They provided a safe and loving home for me and my brother. But we moved a lot. And... uh, By the time I was 10, we had lived in eight different places, England, Scotland, Wales. And that was tricky because we always moved in May. We were always the new people in the class. It was hard to make friends. We always had the wrong accent, so we were teased at school. And then we moved to Croydon, and I, you know, by some miracle, I, I passed my 11 plus, and uh, at that time, there was like a government scheme, so I got a place in a private school, and I felt like I didn't belong. I felt like an outsider, and I remember that those of us that got into the school through 11 plus, we kind of stayed together and actually got into a bit of trouble And um, we we kind of were outsiders. And in that time, I really lost my childlike faith in God. And I, I did stuff that distanced me from God. 
And I remember going to a youth meeting and hearing someone give their testimony, someone young who I could relate to. And suddenly I saw that faith wasn't about the rules and regulations kind of my parents, but it was about a living relationship with Jesus. And in that moment, I knew there were things I had to say sorry for. I needed to repent and to say to Jesus, I'm going to follow you the rest of my life. And in that moment, I experienced forgiveness and acceptance and a purpose, and I knew that I belonged. Do you know that today? That God loves you and wants to draw you in. Maybe you feel like an outsider. Maybe you've experienced rejection. Maybe because of race or your accent or your education. Maybe you have a disability that you feel kind of sets you aside. Maybe you've experienced recently a bereavement or you're having cancer treatment and you feel like suddenly people don't understand you and you feel like There's stuff that separates you. And today God wants to say to you, I love you. I accept you. You're the apple of my eye. I'm searching for you. You're the one that I want to come to the table. And I think that's what Peter was feeling as he preached. He wanted Cornelius and his family to come to the table. And he tells them about Jesus and Jesus' life and death and resurrection. He mentions the fact that Jesus ate with people after he was raised from the dead. And I, I kind of wonder if, Jesus was, if Peter was remembering that breakfast he had with Jesus. You know, he denied Jesus and Jesus gathers the disciples and they eat together and then Jesus takes Peter to one side and there's a moment, I think, of, of, G- of Peter saying sorry and, and Jesus drawing him back in and, and Peter saying, I love you, Lord, I'm going to follow you and, and Jesus saying, well, then feed my sheep. And here he is, Peter, he's, he's feeding different sheep. He's, he's drawing in a new flock into the kingdom. One of the commentators writing about Acts 10 says this, what Peter was about to say was indeed momentous in sweeping away centuries of racial prejudice. That was between Jew and Gentile. He says, everyone, everyone who believes in him, receives forgiveness of sin through his name. Not everyone who performs certain rituals or gets circumcised or becomes a Jew. No, everyone who repents and believes and put their faith in Jesus can be accepted and forgiven. And and Cornelius and his friends and family take Peter at his word. And in their hearts, they repent And they believe in Jesus and they're accepted and forgiven and filled with the Holy Spirit and they speak in tongues and everyone's amazed and astonished because it's a new day. It's a new day. And Peter goes on to baptize them because why not? They are not second-class Christians. They have been born again. They've been forgiven and accepted. 
and the prejudices and the preferences are gone. The clean, unclean barrier is gone. Peter stays with them for a few days. He eats foods with them. They're brothers and sisters together now, one in Christ. And God is answering the prayer of his son Jesus to build a church from many and make them one, one people united in Christ, witnessing to the type of God who doesn't show favoritism but loves everyone relentlessly. And his love must motivate us to cross the divide, to invite others in, to tell the good news to people who are different from us in every way. So my challenge to you this morning is, if you feel like you're an outsider, if you feel on the edge, come in. Come to the table. Repent. Believe. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be accepted. Be part of us. And if you've known that grace, then reach out to others. Invite others in. Invite them around to your house. Tell people the good news. Let's build a church of many who are one. Amen.